Hey friends, welcome to Real Talk with Rachel. I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert, and I'm so glad that you've chosen to tune in today. This show is a safe space with real conversations to help you live free and pursue your God-given dreams. Oftentimes, God brings things up because they are on the way out. Today's topic is how to release the pressure that we feel as women. Now, we even had some real talk about body image, which I know you're going to love. And as always, be sure to stick around till the end of the show for a short segment where I share counselor-approved strategies to take this Real Talk episode and make it relevant in your everyday life through simple action steps. Now, before I introduce you to today's guest, I have to take the time to read you a couple of new reviews that came in on the podcast this week. I tell you guys this all the time. I really do read these. I send them to my show producer, and I just, I love to see what the Lord is doing on this podcast and how it blesses you all. So here are two really quick ones. Uh, The first one's from Summer Phoebe, and she says, love the way Rachel makes the podcast feel like a group of friends having coffee. Truth is shared alongside of solid, practical encouragement. You know that makes my heart happy to hear that. She says she's a huge fan. And then Shell Meyer says, Rachel is so good at asking wonderful questions to make every interview feel rich and personal. You will love every episode. So if I read your review just now and you're listening today, be sure to send us an email at rachel at rachelgilbert.com and we'll send some free goodies your way just as a special thank you. And if you have not yet left a review for the show, do so. I might read your review one of these days and then also get give you some goodies in the mail. Um, and if you've already left a review and you're going, hey, wait, I want in that giveaway, you can just share an episode on social media. Just make sure you tag me so that I see it and can send some stuff your way as well. Okay, let's introduce today's guest. You're going to love her. Her name is Sarah Bragg, and she's the host of the podcast Surviving Sarah. Along with being a master at brewing coffee and a champion of cheering for others, she is also a mother of two girls and a wife to Scott. She and her family reside in Tennessee, and you can find out more about her at sarahbragg.com. Now, one of my favorite things about Sarah is that she's real, which you all know that's a big deal to me, but she's also really funny, and I had a fun time interviewing her. Her book is awesome, and so let's welcome her to the show right now. Well, hello, Sarah. Welcome to the show. Hi, Rachel. I'm glad to have you here today. I feel like I've followed you or been connected with you in the online space for a while, but it's always fun when I get to actually talk to to you. I know. (laughs) Well, I remember you from the Declare conference that I went to, I mean, ages ago, it feels like. like. Oh, wow. What year? Let me think. I feel like it was maybe 2017. Maybe that feels like like ancient times ago. Yeah. Yeah. Melanie Dell and I came together. She was speaking and she was like, you should come here with me. And I was like, okay, sounds fun. And so, um, so we did. How cool. I I had not made that connection that that's where we actually have like met in person. So, Mm -hmm. well, I don't, well, and I don't know if we met in person, but you were, you were involved, like you were helping with things. I remember you, but I don't know if we ever got to actually meet or not, but I just, that's the first time I remember knowing of you. Yeah. Okay, cool. I love that. Well, that makes our meeting even more fun today. So Mm -hmm. um, before we talk about your book that just released, I'd love to ask all my guests, what is a fun fact about you that I did not just read in your professional bio? 
Mm. Um, a fun fact is that I am a horse mom now. Like I've got a quarter horse and named Daisy and a Welsh pony named Maggie. And so I feel like I should have written a book, A Mother's Guide to Raising Horses, because that's now who we are. Or we're just horse people now. Was that on your radar or was that random? Where how'd that come about? Well, my daughter, my oldest rides and has for years. And I mean, she came out of the womb loving horses like that's just in her blood. And when we moved to Tennessee in December, it was kind of on our radar. But then we moved and our neighbor, this sweet 75 year old woman who we adore has two horses. And we're like, oh, this is great. Our girls will just love her horses and we won't have to get horses. And then we just had an amazing opportunity come up with um, a couple of horses from the barn Sinclair used to ride at in Atlanta. And they were wanting to give us these horses. And I was like, I mean, how do you say no to these horses? I just can't. So now we have horses. (laughs) And they're just, I I didn't know that I needed horses in my life. We, We have absolutely loved having them. How fun. Well, I'll have to pick your brain on that because we just, we bought some land and my kids, <gasps> my kids think that they're getting horses now. And I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. <laughs> hey, we <laughs> are all loving it. Even yeah. my husband, he's like, you know, and it has required a lot of work to getting our our property ready. They don't, the horses themselves have not required a lot of work, but you know, building a fence and getting the barn ready and all that kind of stuff. But even he like, he'll carry peppermints in his pocket because they love peppermint candy. And so he'll like carry peppermints in his pocket. I'm like, you love those horses. I can tell. Oh, that's so sweet. Okay. Well, let's jump into what we're going to talk about today. You recently released a book called A Mother's Guide to Raising Herself. Let's hear about the heart behind this book. I always love to hear why authors decided to write a book on a certain topic. Yes. Well, I just, I feel like I have grown up so much. Um, yeah, my oldest is 13. And when I look back and I, and I could think about the things, like when I sat down and I knew I wanted to write and I was thinking, what would I say to another mom? There were so many things that were coming out that I looked back and go, oh, that's because like motherhood has been so hard. And I can look back at the Sarah that I was when I started motherhood and it was so hard and I thought I should quit. And I thought, I'm just not cut out for this. I thought, you know, there's all these expectations. There was all this pressure. And I was like, I just want to write to the mom who feels that way and to help alleviate some pressure. I wanted to take expectations off and pressure off. And I wanted to address a lot of the, the, the hard parts of motherhood, the uncertainty and the tendencies towards fear or insecurity or inauthenticity and all the vulnerability of it. And I just wanted to meet a mom where she was. And when I started writing, I started just really, it was all these things that um, I grew up in. So it was looking at all those things, the fear, the, the uncertainty, the lack of control, and realizing how much I've grown in these 13 years because I thought I was raising my kids, but really everything that I was doing was really just raising myself. All the ways that I wanted them to grow, I realized, oh, I kind of need to grow. Or the things that I was Um, talking to them that is true. And I was going, well, if it's true for them that they are loved, no matter what they do say or think, do I believe that is true for me? Why do I think there's a level performance needed for my love to be loved? And so those were things that I felt like I just was growing up in so much. And I thought, I just want to be that voice to a mom to be able to speak that over them the same way that I was speaking over myself all these years. I can yes and amen that because my oldest is 14 and then I have two teen daughters. 
and then a younger son. And absolutely, I can't tell you the number of times I've given my daughters a pep talk, if you will, mm-hmm. about a certain topic or, you know, spoke life into them. And almost immediately, the Holy Spirit says, hey, Rachel, <laughs> maybe you should listen to your pep talk. I'm like, oh, right. yeah, that's, wow. yeah, okay. <laughs> I see what you're doing there. <laughs> yes, for sure. Okay, so we have a lot to talk about. And I want to start by just, I loved um, you said something in your book that I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say before or an angle that they've taken and that you view motherhood as a relationship rather Mm -hmm. than a calling or or more so than a calling. Can you Mm -hmm. talk about that and explain that a little bit? Yes. You know, I, I started hearing a lot of that, that motherhood was a calling and there came a lot of pressure with that phrase, a pressure that motherhood is going to be the most important thing you do is to raise your kids. And while it is true, that is an important thing that we do. There came a lot of pressure with that statement. And I started thinking about it. There's, you know, the more that I thought about that, if this is the greatest thing that any woman could ever do, doesn't that neglect the women who can't have children? The women who like, oh, there's it just, it, just highlights the privilege that we have that if we can have children, all of this stuff. And I thought, I think about my single friends or my friends who struggle with infertility or my friends, all these other people who even friends who have chosen not to have children. Does that mean that their life is less valuable or that they're missing the mark on the most important thing that they could do with their life? Um, and then I, and, and back to that pressure point, you know, what happens when your kids leave, when they grow up and you're going, well, my greatest calling has been raising now what? And so while it is important, I think it, to me, it shows raising kids is valuable, but it doesn't have to be our job, our calling, this highest thing, this pressure point. Um, it's a relationship. Just like I, you know, I've been married to my husband for 16 years and that's a relationship. It's not, I'm not called to marry him. I just, I chose him. Like I, I chose to, to get married and to step into this relationship. And so um, I just think it's, it's one of those things where I think motherhood is valuable and it is hard work, but it, it doesn't have to be our everything and it can be valuable without having to put added pressure onto mm-hmm. it. I love that perspective because if you think about it, that even goes back just to our relationship with Jesus, you know, like Mm -hmm. when we start viewing our relationship with the Lord as something, not a relationship as a, like you said, as a religious rules have to do this thing, then it really loses the power and the original design in that. So I, I love that perspective that you have there. What you mentioned that it almost also takes some of the pressure off you, you know, you mentioned that the heart behind this book has come from you really learning a ton as you've grown up as a mom and then raising your your kids. And so how have you wrestled through that perfectionism that we can mm. really get caught up in as, I, I don't think just as moms, as women, period. Yes, <laughs> it's just so, it's so easy. I, I don't think I recognize how much um, perfectionism I tend to tended to fall into until I became a mom because there was in my mind, there was some magic formula. There was some formula you had to follow to equal these well-behaved kids or these right kind of kids, these good quote kids. And, and so then I started chasing this formula and I'm going, why is this formula never working out? Like why I'm doing a plus B and it never equals C like they're all, you know? Um, and so I just, I felt like it kept highlighting these ways, which then I felt like a failure. Cause if I'm not, I'm following the formula and it's not working, what's wrong with me trying for that per- perfection. And I don't think I recognized how many 
phrases would rise up when I needed to do something or be something that I thought I should do that. Like if I really, you know, valued my kids education, I would volunteer in their classroom. I should volunteer in their classroom. Like how many things were these standards that we somehow think qualify a good mom that is. And, and so I felt like I was constantly chasing down. And then I was just tired. Cause I was, not only was I working full time, but I was thinking I had to be like this, full, you know, a full time, like, like act as if I was also a stay at home mom. Cause I was working from home. So that must mean I need to be all the things that a stay at home mom can be and do. And it just was highlighting the fact that I can't give all to all those things and the perfection is just not going to happen. And so I had to start really wrestling with all the shoulds and the supposed tos and get to the heart of, well, who am I and who am I as a mom and what do my kids need? And, and every yes is a no to something else and wrestle with all those things. So what no's are happening now or what yes, yeses can happen now and um, really just start to pay attention to the tendencies towards perfectionism and not using it as a way to have affirmation of who I am as a mom. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure who originally said this, so I'm not going to quote it, but basically I've heard somebody say, don't should on yourself. Mm -hmm. And I am curious when practically speaking for the listeners, if they go, yep, I I do that daily. I, I should be doing XYZ, I should, you know, when they start down that road, do you have any practical tips to help them pivot? (laughs) Yeah, I have started what I've started trying to pay attention to those things. And, you know, there's a plenty of shoulds in our life that we have, like, I should pay my mortgage. Correct. Like (laughs) if I don't want to like be kicked out of my house, I should pay my mortgage. There's things like that, that, you know, we're not talking about, but I'll give like a a silly example. Um, we have a dog, he's giant, he's huge. I refer to him as the greatest regret of 2017, you know, just a lot. He's a lot. And walking him on a leash was so hard. Like he pulled me. It was not fun. I would go for a walk and come back angry. And I like one time I literally, flipped off a neighborhood neighbor dog. I was like, this is what he's gotten to me. Like this dog is now making me flip dogs off. Like what is happening? Who have I become? You know? And so, but I felt like I should walk this dog. Like a good dog owner cares about the health, you know, the exercise of this dog. Like I should be the one that walks him. I should make sure he is socialized. I should make sure like I was going through all these things. And then I started going, I should do that, but I don't want to, like, I want my walks to be the point of a walk to have like my endorphins released and to come back happy and like to have been able to take a break and take a breath. And so I stopped walking the dog and I was like, you know what? He, no one else is choosing to walk him, but I just had to let go of that. And, and I was happier for it. And my, you know, my mental health was better for it. And I know that's like a silly example, but it was one of those where I had to pay attention to, well, what am I, what's the soundtrack in my head about shoulds? What am I, you know, I should volunteer in my kid's classroom. Okay. Well, why do you feel like you should volunteer in your class kid's classroom? Like walk yourself. Like when you hear the should respond with a why, why do I feel this way? Why do I feel the need to do this? 
And it might be like, you might walk yourself through that and go, yeah, okay, great. I'm going to volunteer in my kid's classroom. Or you might walk yourself through that process and go, yeah, this is not the best yes for me right now. This is not, you know, is not serving me well in this moment. And so that's really kind of what it looks like is beginning to, it's like the um, indicator light on your car, like the gas, like you need to get gas. Like whenever you hear that should or supposed to let that be the indicator light and then get curious and ask, well, why am I, why do I think that? And is that something I really want to do? Is that something that I really feel like is important? Is that something that's really um, the best use of my time or the best use of whatever my money, whatever it may fall under? And then you can kind of walk yourself down that path and then you'll have an answer for yourself. Um, So that's what it kind of practically looks like for me. Yeah, I love that you said, what is your should soundtrack that, mm. that those two words together, your should soundtrack just jumped out to me because that's an easy thing to remember. The moment I hear that word come into my thoughts or out my mouth, like, uh oh, let's ta- yes. let's pause and let's see what yes. what is on repeat in my head. And maybe I need to skip over the song, you know, like mm-hmm. for the listeners who who may not have. Uh, I think we all probably have done CDs and we know how to skip over, mm-hmm. but, you know, mm-hmm. or on your yep. playlist, we, we can put it that way. So I love yes. that. It's very practical. Today's episode is brought to you by my most downloaded resource called Three Action Steps to Overcome Fear and Pursue Your God-Given Dreams. Inside this free training, I give you access to the exact three steps I take when fear is looking me in the face and holding me back from moving forward towards my dreams. It also includes the one tool I use on a daily basis to keep a sound mind. And it comes in a beautiful, nine-page PDF workbook with detailed instructions on how to silence your fears. To download, head to rachelgilbert.com forward slash overcome fear. Okay, let's talk a little bit about worrying. Mm. (laughs) I think that's a little (laughs) fresh on everybody's mind. Uh, Again, not just when it comes to being a mom, but in life. So what encouragement would you have um, for the moms listening who just are stuck in a pit of worry and fear over Mm. their children? Yeah, there is no shortage of things we could worry about and things that we can be afraid about. Um, For me, I have practiced, you know, fear is not a bad thing. Fear is just an emotion that we feel. And a lot of times that emotion is another indicator light of saying, pay attention, what's going on? Should I be afraid? So, you know, I I feel like with like my daughter, when she started sixth grade a couple of years ago and we would drive to school and she would say, my stomach, I have a stomach ache. And I was like, okay, is it maybe nerves? You think like, are you feeling like you're going to throw up or is this like nerves? And she's like, I think it might be nerves. Okay. That's your indicator light going off, pay attention. And she was afraid, but just because we're afraid doesn't mean we shouldn't do something. Um, but it's a, it's a reason to pause, pay attention and, and assess the situation. Like, should I like hightail it out of here? Or do I just need to like be aware, choose courage and move forward. And so I think that for me with mothering and worry and fear, I really tried to practice not letting fear drive the car. 
So I, I once heard that from Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, I, I think she wrote about it in Big Magic. And and I really appreciated that visual that instead of, you know, letting fear drive the car, I, I choose curiosity and I choose, um, you know, for some people, if they're Christians, they're going to choose, you know, God, they're going to say, okay, they're going to take back and go, okay, like I can rest in that. Let fear, you know, Elizabeth even says like, thank you fear for showing up, but not get in the backseat. Like it's that kind of idea of not letting it drive your decisions, drive what you're thinking, drive what you're feeling, acknowledge it, but then move it to the backseat. And so I think that has been helpful for me just to acknowledge that I feel afraid to acknowledge I fear the, you know, the worry. Um, it's helpful to have someone that you can reach out to and like SOS, like, you know, I remember I, I texted my friend Marika one night and, uh, you know, Sinclair, she's 13 and something in her room. And she was like, Sarah, she's probably not doing cocaine in her room. Like, let's take, let's back yourself down off the crazy ledge, right? Like the fear ledge of like, what is she doing? She hasn't come out of her room for like four hours. What's going on? Um, so there's just no shortage of fear, but being able to acknowledge it and then not let it drive the car has been super helpful, kind of a visual for me in that. Um, and then the other thing I would say is I try to keep um, the end in mind. I keep trying to think about my kids being 30 and going, okay, this is like, it helps me when I think back to, to me being 13 and I go, okay, I eventually got through this. Like I had parents who were there, parents who loved me and I eventually got through the, the normal human teenage development things that we're going to walk through. And so that helps me when I'm looking at my daughters and going, okay, this is a big deal in their world right now. And, but they're going to get through it. Like we are here. She, they have, she has two parents that love her and are showing up for her. It's going to be okay. And so those kind of pep talks through it um, with that kind of perspective usually help me tackle the worry and anxiety and the fear. Yes, I love that visual that you shared about not letting fear drive the car. One of my mentors recently, actually just this week, said to me, she said, Rachel, your best decisions come from a place of calm. Because I was mm. kind of freaking out about something. And she was like, I was letting fear drive my decision making, you know, yes. and yes. she could sense it all over me. And she said, you need to get to a place of calm. And so I love that so far our conversation the theme that I'm seeing is how important it is when when things feel like they're out of whack. And, and every woman knows when your heart's just not good. You know, when your brain, yeah. spit, your headspace is not good, when you're kind of just running through life and you feel like life's happening to you and, you know, like mm, you're not, yeah. you're just like trying to play catch up all the time and and just feels a little chaotic. And the theme I see is pause, <laughs> mm. analyze, like what are, what are, what are the things I'm believing? And then what, uh, what's driving the car, you know, just really yes. taking just a breather to go, okay, we need to, we need to have a minute. <laughs> mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I actually love, um, you talk about this a bit in your book. You you call it taking a smoke break. Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> yes, I know. I I'm like, what what other is there another Christian book that tells people <laughs> to take a smoke break? I don't know. Um, not an actual literal smoke break, but um, but it's that idea of taking a beat. What you're just describing, like take a beat take a break, give yourself a minute to come back to your like thinking brain, especially if you're in the heat of a moment, 
how good it is to get and I learned this from raising kids because all these, you know, expert therapists were telling me they've got to breathe, they got to get oxygen back to their brain. And I'm like, wait, what? That's like a thing. Like, and they're like, yes, it's it's called science. That's how your body works, you know. Um, and and so that's what I started thinking about it. I was, you know, looking at, you know, I've I've worked with enough people where, you know, they, they smoke and they're like, well, I'll be back in 10. I'm going to take my, my smoke break. And I'm like, wait, what? We're in the middle of what? And they just walk out and they're gone for 10 minutes. They take a break and they come back in. And I'm like, that's so much what we need to be doing is allowing ourselves to just take a little break, you know, whatever that break looks like for you. Sometimes for me, my favorite kind is just to walk out and just walk around the property for like 10 minutes and then come back in and rejoin the situation of what's going on. Um, we just have to learn to give ourselves a chance to think and a chance to remove ourselves, even if it's not like a crazy moment. Sometimes we just need the opportunity to step away from our phones or our computers or all the things and just step outside or hide in a closet, whatever it may be, and just take a beat. That's really what that's all about. Yeah. And I, I just love that permission to do that too, mm-hmm. you know, not only for ourselves, but for each other of just, Hey, if I need a break and I need a moment, let's mm-hmm. go do it. And then I know I'm going to come back even better for not only myself, but for everybody around me too. That's such great advice. All right. So you actually have a chapter in your book on body image, which got me very excited because that's actually the topic I'm writing my first book on right now. So we can't let this conversation end without topic, talking about that chapter. Yeah. Let's hear about your experience with this, especially when it comes to raising girls. Mm. Well, it's, it's definitely a um, very tender subject for me. Um, I was called fat when I was nine. And it really, and it put me on a a trajectory of eating disorders and body obsession and exercise obsession for, um, I mean, like 20 years. I mean, that was just the the path to this point where I'm going, I don't know any, like there is such well-worn paths in my brain that it's like, how do you think differently? I mean, it takes such a long time to unlearn the things that you learned, um, especially as a child. Um, so it's very tender to me the way that, um, I want to approach that with my daughters. And so when it comes to that, you know, we, we don't really talk about size, um, much. I'm thankful that my girls, they both, they still love, um, I guess they, they look at growing up, like is getting bigger is growing up. Like, I don't know if your, your daughters were that way where it was like, when they went up a size, they were like, Oh, like, Oh, I'm now a size like 14. Like, Oh, I'm getting big. Like I'm growing up. Like, and I just, it made me so happy that that was their mentality. Cause I can remember being in, you know, sixth grade and being a size in the kids sizes, like a size 16 and being traumatized, like just being devastated. And so I've been so thankful that they have viewed growing up equals getting bigger. And so that's been helpful. Um, and so we just, we just really talk about, I try to just talk about being healthy and modeling. They know that, um, I now work out with a trainer cause hello, something happened at 42 and everything changed. And so it was, you know, less about, you know, it's like, yeah, I want to be strong and I want to, you know, work on my body. And so they know that this, this like, you got to be healthy, you got to exercise, you know, you got to move. They see me walking all the time, but it's not because it's never under the, oh, I've got to go lose 10 pounds. Now I struggle with that in my mind. I'm thinking sometimes I've got to go lose 10 pounds, but that's not what I'm talking about because I, I want to, because I'm also trying to model for myself, 
okay, this is health. What does health look like? What does that look like? And, and, and moderation, which is so hard for all of us, but, um, you know, I'm going to, someone's, uh, my agent sent me ice cream for book launch day. And I'm like, I'm not going to not eat ice cream because, you know, like, and so my girls want to see celebration, let's enjoy this. So it's a whole lot of, um, tenderness, that I approach it with. And it's a whole lot of modeling, trying to model just what a healthy approach to um, loving your body and appreciating your body for as it is that I'm trying to model for them. Yeah. That word tender is so true. I have a very similar story as you when it comes to body image. And I, I that's what I've seen. Even as I mm-hmm. sat to write this book on body image, it's such a tender topic that is very near and dear to women's hearts across the globe, you know, um, I've just seen this to be true across the board. Um, How did then raising daughters help you in your own just Mm. journey of your own healing with that? Yes. You know, one of, it was funny, one of the biggest moments, um, well, to start, I guess I should say, I, I, it started even before they were born. I was with my mentor and I was in my early twenties and I was talking about, you know, the struggle and she finally stopped me. And she said, for the sake of your future children, you need to stop. And there was something about that, that really helped shift the focus. Cause when you think about the the everything that I was the obsession, it was all like self, like it was like so much thought went into my own self. And that was the first time that I really thought about how my obsession, my self obsession might affect someone else. Mm. And, um, those people, you know, my children did not even exist. I wasn't dating anyone nowhere near, um, that, but that was probably the first step of really how, you know, raising kids ultimately affected that journey. And then a recent one, you know, it was funny. And I don't know if you've had this kind of moment too with raising girls, but Sinclair needed new jeans and we went to old Navy and she was trying on jeans and it dawned on me as she was trying on a size four that, Oh, I've been striving to get in that same size jeans that she is putting on her tween body. She was 12 at the time. And it just, it just blew my mind that I was going, Oh, I, there's no, I don't have a tween's body. I do not. I am in my forties. I've had two kids. I just have a different body. And it was just such an interesting, I don't know, moment of perspective, I guess, of realizing that here I was trying to fit in the same size clothes that my daughter was wearing. And that was another kind of relieving some pressure off of me in that moment. Yeah. I literally had that exact conversation with my husband. It's been several years ago now, but I was just telling him, honey, because I was in that whole cycle of trying, you know, striving Mm -hmm. to lose weight and doing all the things and still wasn't quite there and, and everything. And I just was telling him how exhausted I was. And he, he kind of stopped me. He said, Rachel, he said, Stop comparing yourself to other women, including your younger self. She's another woman. Mm. And he said to me, he said, do you realize you're trying to fit into a size when you're 15, before you had hips, before you had kids? That's that's insane. And when he put it that way, I was like, oh, 
good point. You know, I'm yes. like, my body is just different and that's okay. It's a season of life and that lets so much pressure off of me. So, yes. Yeah. Well, it's hard with, you know, I think I do like the person I compare the most with is the the previous version of myself. Yep. And I remember talking to, uh, I was met with a confidence coach some last year and I was just really struggling with all of that. And, and she was, and I, I was like, I just don't understand why, you know, one season of life, I could do this. I could like, you know, eat this way and exercise this way and get these results. And she's like, it's okay that you don't, you don't live in that season anymore. And it's okay that you don't have the capacity to do that anymore and to be that anymore. And I think that you're so right that we spend so much of our time striving to be a different version of ourselves, a younger version of ourselves when, man, if we can just accept where we are, yeah, it's a whole lot more freedom that follows. Yeah. And you know what I love about you and I having this conversation is this has been my heart for my daughters is that sometimes they get it. Like sometimes they are in a better place than I was growing up. And then sometimes they still struggle, you know, mm-hmm. like they still, those thoughts still do come up. And I have, I love though, that I have an open dialogue with them back to that relationship that when they are struggling in that way, they can come tell me, you know, yes. and like, that's my heart for this next generation of girls that we're raising is just, Hey, it's okay to struggle. I struggle too. I, you know, I've been there. I've done that. I have the t-shirts and guess what? This is a safe place that we can have the conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're not going to be judged. You're not going to be, you know, I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to tell you what you should be doing. You know, I'm not going to shut on you. Um, We're just going to talk about it. And so that's why, even though, and I pray that other women listening right now, I pray that this encourages y'all to find somebody that you can have these hard conversations with and you can go there and you can be real with each other about what you're wrestling through. Cause I just think there's so much freedom that comes in that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Just be a safe place for, for your people to land. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So as we prepare to get off here today, are there, I mean, I feel like we barely scraped the tip of the <laughs> iceberg of the topics that I had lined up to talk to you about. It's been such a rich conversation. Um, are there any other final words of encouragement you'd want to give to the women listening in on this today? I feel like the thing that keeps that I keep coming back to is the need that somebody just needs to tell us that showing up is enough Mm. that like, you know, the other night I was so exhausted. I was just so tired. And I was like, you know what? It's pop tarts for dinner. I hadn't had a pop tart in like 30 years. Yeah. I ate a pop tart (laughs) for dinner. Like, like it was okay that they didn't have, and I didn't have vegetables. It was okay. (laughs) You know, it's like, I showed up my presence, like, even if like, I, you know, didn't do the things like, maybe I didn't get everything done or showed up in all the places I, I really wanted to be able to show up, but, um, do all the things, but you know what your presence here, you just keep waking up and showing up that is winning. Like, and there, that's where I just keep going. It's okay. Like some days you're going to do more than others, but just keep showing up, just keep waking up and showing up. And, and that really is enough. Yeah, so true. Okay, well, where can they get, first of all, where can they get a copy of your book? Yes, they can get it anywhere books are sold. So whatever okay. you, wherever you fancy to yeah. buy from. All right. So hop on Amazon. I think that's where most of us get yeah. our books these days, but mm-hmm. or yes. unless you're a brick and mortar kind of person. Um, and then where can they find you online? 
Yes, you can go to Instagram is Sarah W. Bragg. Um, and then my website is just sarahbragg.com. And you can sign up for my monthly survival kit newsletter. It's just a way that I like to share all the things that help me survive, whether that's, uh, you know, what I watched and read or listened to. And um, Surviving Sarah is my podcast. Yeah, yeah. Tell them about your podcast. I always love yes. fellow podcasters. I want to make yes. sure that they know about your show, too. Thank you. Yes, it's much like this one. So if you enjoyed this style, this conversation, um, that's really what it is. I, I just want to help women survive well right where they are, whether that's with relationships or work or faith or themselves, parenting, all the things. So I just love to have conversations that will help um, help others be their best selves, really. So that's what Surviving Sarah is. Great. And all of those links to the things that she just talked about will be in today's show notes for those of you who want to go back and check that out. Well, Sarah, thank you again for taking time to come on. Thank you for this conversation. I loved it. I know my listeners are going to love it too. <laughs> and I'm just excited to release it to them. Uh, thank you for having me. Well, it is time for Let's Get Real Practical. This is the part of the show that we take the topic discussed with today's guest and we get into some practical steps that you can implement into your life right now. I wanna take a moment to create space for us to evaluate our should soundtrack that is playing in our heads. We talked about that in today's interview. I love that phrase. I don't think I'll ever forget that phrase and I hope you don't either, which is why I wanted to bring it up in today's practical segment. So here are a few questions to get you started. What areas of your life do you feel defeated in? And when you look at those areas, are you shooting on yourself? The way you can know if you're shooting on yourself is if you say things like, I should lose 10 pounds. I should be working harder. I should be further along by now. Those are kind of recurring themes. Anytime you see that word should or always or never, those are kind of extreme words that we want to be aware of in our vocab. And if we see them popping up a lot, it's time for us to take a minute, take a step back and go, okay, hold on. What's the truth? What's the truth? And not just the truth of what you think it should be or even what the world tells you it should be. What does God's word say it should be? And then that brings me to my final question that we can ask. Where did those shoulds come from? I highly doubt that they came from God. God does not put shoulds on our back. In fact, he actually does the opposite of that. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30 says this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love how that short little passage there said rest several times. Because our God is a God of peace and rest. So if any of those shoulds that are going around on that should soundtrack in your head are heavy, are condemning, make you kind of get paralyzed, that is not from God. Anything that the Lord calls us to should be from a place of rest and peace. It doesn't mean it's always gonna be easy, but it does mean we can rest in Him no matter the circumstances and no matter the outcome. Well, my friends, that concludes our Get Real Practical segment for today. 
I pray that this Real Talk episode brought you one step closer to living free and pursuing your God-given dreams. I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.